We are The Purposeful Project. We help entrepreneurs for free. Welcome to today's pep talk, where we'll take just 20 minutes to interview leading experts from around the world who share actionable know-how, insights, and life lessons. To hear these incredible insights, follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Or you can simply visit thepurposefulproject.com, sign up to our mailing list, and get the podcast in your inbox every single week. Welcome to this week's episode of Pep Talk. I've got an incredible entrepreneur joining us, Daniel Priestley. Well, I was just reading his CV, and if I read it out to you now, that will take up the whole podcast. So, uh, Daniel, why don't you introduce yourself and let everybody who doesn't already know you, and that can't be anybody in the UK, um, that, that doesn't really know you, know a little bit about what you do and how you do it. Yeah, so my background is as an entrepreneur. Uh, I started when I was 21 years old. Um, within a year, I did my first uh, 1.3 million in sales and 400,000 of profit in the very first year of business. Um, within three years, we'd grown to an $11 million a year business uh, in Australia. I exited that, came to the UK, started a, a growth accelerator. Um, we now have three and a half thousand clients around the world. We've got an office in London, Sydney, and Toronto. Um, I've got a group of companies today which uh, looks at media, publishing, um, technology, uh, and basically all things entrepreneurship, getting people to stand out, scale up, make a positive impact in the world is very much the core focus of everything that I do. And along the way, I've written five books on entrepreneurship. So um, I guess you could say I'm up to my elbows in helping people to scale their businesses and, uh, and make the most of this entrepreneurial time we live in. 21, you were a late starter then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, what was I waiting for? <laughs> what were you doing for the first 18 I mean, years? I, I can accept that, up to three. You actually know? quite a late starter for a lot of your watches. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our listeners are, are, are young people that uh, are trying to get going, you know, 14, 15, 16. In, um, but, but, but 21, what, what happened to you at 21 to make you kick in and, and, and I guess wake up to the entrepreneurial opportunities? So I was really lucky at age 19, I joined a startup and um, for two years, I worked very closely with a mentor and uh, I was employee number four. And uh, in two years, we grew to 60 people uh, in the company. Um, I was a very trusted person within, um, within the company. So I was given special projects to go and launch things and run things and marketing, sales, uh, you know, going and sourcing different um, new speakers and products and key relationships. So I had this weird experience from 19 to 21 where everything was like thrown into the deep end of fast growth business. Um, when I was 21, I went to my boss, John, and I said, can I get shares in the business because uh, I've helped build it? And he said, well, if you want shares in a business, you should go start your own. And I was like, whoa, that was a bit of a slap in the face, but maybe I will. Um, so I actually did. I, I thought, you know, I'll take him seriously and I'll go and start my own business. So I basically just copied everything I'd learned uh, in the last two years while it was fresh in my mind and went off and, um, and, and ran the business. So, you know, for John, I'd been running a $750,000 a year part of his business um, as one of my projects with other projects as well. Um, so it wasn't actually that radical to go do 1.3 million on my own because I'd kind of been doing it just for somebody else. I love that, by the way. I think anyone listening, I, I, I guess 
generally this podcast is all about educating people about entrepreneurship and giving them the tools to become entrepreneurs or, or do better in their existing businesses. But what you've just highlighted there is, is gold. I don't want people to miss it. You can still go to the, the boss you work for today and ask for equity. That's another way to do it, right? I mean, that's pretty amazing that you knew to do that at 19 years old and, and had the confidence to do it. But it's something to remind people, isn't it? I mean, you, if you're good at what you do, you can go start your own thing or maybe you can go to your existing boss and ask for equity, right? Yeah, in his case, he wanted to have a family business. He didn't want external shareholders. He didn't want to report to other shareholders. It was fair enough. He wanted to, you know, the 100% club, I guess. You know, things change even if you have a 1% other shareholder. Um, so he was doing what was right for himself and his plan. Um, and he wasn't trying to build. The other thing, too, is he wasn't trying to build for exit. He, you know, he could have potentially explained things to me a little bit differently and said, there's no point in having shares if I'm never going to sell the business. It's like having a suitcase full of money, but you can't ever open the suitcase. Um, so, uh, you know, he, he just was very flippant in his kind of like go start your own company, uh, you know, slap. But um, look, there were so many lessons in that. The, lesson, the big lesson as well is before you're a number one, you should really try and be a number two, three or four um, and work under the, under the wing of, uh, of somebody. I think there's a lot to be said for being under somebody's wing uh, for a couple of years. There's a lot to learn when you're under somebody's wing. Well, you mentioned it a moment ago, you know, mentorship. How, how do people go about getting a mentor? A lot of people ask us this. What's, what's your advice on that front? The key to getting a mentor, I think, is, is working with the person. So here's what I don't think works. I don't think it really works to be able to go to someone and say, will you be my mentor? Um, it's kind of just like, I don't know, it's a bit weird. It's a bit, I get asked that sometimes. And it's just so, I don't know, a bit contrived, a bit fake. Um, and it's also just a little bit to, you have to kind of make time to meet up and get on the same page. When you genuinely have a mentor, in my experience, it's because you work for them. Like you work for the mentor. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're with them day to day. You're, you're in the trenches. You're fighting battles alongside them. And they're kind of taking you under their wing as someone who they're, they're kind of giving you the behind the scenes lessons as to why things are happening the way they're happening. And that to me is that real mentoring, that genuine mentoring. You know, the once a month cup of coffee that you might have, yeah, it's not a bad thing. Um, if someone's an investor in your company, that's probably gonna be a good mentoring relationship uh, because they're actually bought in. They're, you know, they wanna see you succeed. Um, you know, I suppose there is some relationships where it works out where you meet up with a mentor and it's kind of that formalized arrangement and all of that sort of stuff. But for me personally, I've always worked with my mentors. I've promoted them. I've worked with them. They've been suppliers, contractors, investors, um, and that's been a better, a better setup. That's another great insight there. I mean, the whole relationship you have with, for example, suppliers, People always perceive them as, you know, you work for me, but it can actually be quite powerful if your supplier becomes your friend and the insights and relationship that can build. I mean, that's a really interesting point. I think a lot of people don't think about that. I think they do think of suppliers as just that, suppliers. But if you get the relationship right, they, they can be your mentors and there's all sorts of things that can come from that, right? It's, um, like we the get supplier the really wants to see you succeed. 
Yeah, well, that's it. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I I, I was in China um, for twenty years on and off, and um, it was always interesting to see the factories out there, the relationship people had with factories. They often see them as give me the lowest price, and uh, and I'll use you. And they would often uh, get stung by the factory, and then, but the ones that approached the factory and said, look, let's build a product together, let's build a business together, end up having incredibly solid long-term relationships with factories that would never copy them. And so, yeah, that that how you start that relationship really matters. It's such a good point you're making there. So um, you start at 21, uh, you kick this business off. Sounds like it did really well. Um, what did you learn in the early days of building a business that you think my listeners could take from your experience? So um, there's a couple of things. We always break the year into three components, three key uh, components. Number one is a big message for the year. What is the big picture, the big message that we wish the whole world knew more about? Um, what do we want to educate or inspire uh, in the marketplace. Um, and, and that's what we call our big message. So we want to get the big message right from day one. Um, number two, we want to go right down to the grassroots and we want to have what we call a perfect repeatable week. And a perfect repeatable week is literally what is a week that we can do 40 times a year. And if we were to cut and paste that week and do it over and over and over again, 40 weeks of the year, then that would be a very good thing. So there's probably some sales in there. There's probably some um, customer care in there. There's probably um, certain team meetings that we would have. There's a certain debrief at the end of the week. Um, so what we do is we build and orchestrate a perfect repeatable week that we're going to do 40 times over as best we possibly can. Um, and then sitting on top of that, we always do... Uh, for what we call spotlight campaigns. And spotlight campaigns are something of interest, something special. Um, it's going to be either a product launch, it's going to be a, um, a key personality that we're going to work with. Um, maybe it's going to be an experience that we do that's special for our customers. But we're going to do four things per year that are very special that create a bit of buzz and excitement. So in order to run a really good year and make a lot of profit, that perfect repeatable week, those quarterly spotlight events, and that annual big message. If you can get those three things right, then you can uh, you can have a very good year. How did you get all this knowledge from such a young age? I mean, you're 21 years old, and you'll have that strategy, or you know that strategy. And I, by the way, I've just made notes. I've I've cited 19 companies. And I feel like I, I need to install what you've just told me uh, in, in in future businesses. So it's a real gold. Thank you. But but where did this knowledge come from? Were your parents entrepreneurs? Was it that you know 19 year old you getting that job that turned all this on? How did you get all this insight into entrepreneurship? Day one of working with John, he pulls out this huge uh, annual calendar planner. Uh, this 12 month, it's called a Sasco planner. And we spent four hours planning out the entire year. And the first thing he did is he put his holidays in. He said, I've got to take these holidays. These are the most important things to rest and recharge. So he put the holidays in first um, so that he wouldn't miss his holidays. The second thing we did is we uh, put in um, these uh, big four campaigns that we we're going to do, these big exciting events that we we're going to do for our clients, retreats, two-day events, those kind of things. And then we actually built and, and put into the weeks uh, things like team meetings, debrief, uh, sales session. Um, one of the things that we did with John is every single week we ran an introduction to the business. So there was an introduction to uh, kind of event and we, we ran one or two of those per week every single week of the year so that any potential customers who wanted to 
work with us, they all went to the intro event and that was super powerful. That was the bulk of revenue that was coming in. So we just kind of scheduled the weekly intro events every single week. So we went through and we started mapping out each week and we started identifying what would be some of the problems that we're probably going to have, what team are we going to have to hire, um, how are we going to train people. We had to put in team training days. So we did this year of planning and that was my first day or, or certainly the first few days of working with John. And then we executed that year and, and we always had a rolling 12-month outlook as to what we were going to uh, expect for the next 12 months. So kind of every three to six months, we were redoing that process and planning out the 12 months. Um, so of course, when I first started my first company, what did I do on day one? I bought a Sasco planner and I started planning out my next 12 months worth of campaigns and promotions. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, it was really monkey see, monkey do in those early days. You, uh, we will put a link in the broadcast below uh, to Daniel Priestley calendars. We need, we need to um, bring back the physical calendar. I just love the idea you, you put that all out. These days it feels so difficult to see within a, within a small screen on your, your calendar, right? So putting it on a big calendar and putting it on the wall. I also love the holidays point, by the way. I, I think this is so overlooked in the entrepreneurial message. You know, I, 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 with all due respect to, to people who I really love, like Gary Vee, but often the only thing you really hear from him is work hard, work hard, work hard. But there is actually a very important element you're making a point there as well with the holidays right people should it's a long game right it's a long game yeah so but so I love that point but yeah I mean I do think that the calendar idea is really cool but um, I guess uh, fast forwarding you know to where we are where you are today and what you built up if you look back at all the things you've done do you think there's any there's any, any one particular characteristic in you that's helped you be successful? Is there one, one particular characteristic you think people listening should try and obtain or, or ensure they have to, to help them be successful? Uh, the thing that I would always say for young people is, is mentors um, and leveraging the credibility of people who have been around uh, a little bit longer. So, for example, I always, in my, before the age of 30, I always had gray hair around me, um, a lot of gray hair. So I would have a mentor or a board member or a speaker that we were promoting or, you know, um, you know, an advisor to the business. But I was really, I don't know why, but I always placed a huge value on having a bunch of gray hair uh, surrounding me. Um, and I would just encourage that, that, you know, the, the people who have been through the game before, seen how the game is played and won, um, it, you know, a great example is that it took 400 years for Leonardo da Vinci's lighter than air theory to be proven through trial and error. And then within 50 years, we had an entire airline industry with 747s and you know international flight and commercial travel. So you know, from, from the 1500s to the early 1900s was just simply trying to figure something out, trial and error. And then you know, very rapidly, it's a, it's a hugely successful global business. It's the same. When you try and figure things out on your own through trial and error, it, it could take you a decade to figure out something that could be taught to you in 20 minutes uh, with, with someone who's uh, an experienced mentor. So having experienced mentors, building up your own brand and reputation, having an attitude where you see yourself through the big picture, through the decades, not the years or the months, where you actually think about Am I doing the right thing reputation-wise? We live in a world where if you do something really stupid, 
uh, that's going to be on the internet for a long time. Um, and, you know, that could actually haunt you for a decade. So when that customer is unreasonable and they're a total jerk and you could either send them an email that says, piss off, uh, don't talk to me, you're not getting a refund, or you could suck an egg and just say, whatever, I'll give you the refund, we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll make it up, swings and roundabouts. There's, there's a tendency to say, you know what, I'll choose, I'll choose the thing that is most likely to not damage my reputation. Um, I'll choose the thing that is most likely to enhance the reputation. Um, you know, so, so just keeping the eye, the eye on the bigger picture at all times, I suppose, is, is, um, uh, is a good one. It's such good advice. Um, I perhaps should have met you 20 years ago because I have sent quite a few emails telling people to piss off. But um, <laughs> but I, I totally agree with your advice, however. I think, and, and uh, you know, 20 years ago when I could send a, a, a it was probably a letter to someone. I don't think it was even an email saying, thank you very much. It's been not nice working with you. I don't want to work with you anymore. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not, it's so much easily uh, published now and, and, and saved. You've got to be, you have got to be careful how you, how you, uh, how you deal with complaints. Um, actually, my brother has a, a very successful company and and um, he gave a, a quote to someone they weren't happy about the quote so they went online saying that he was expensive um, and he ended up having a fight with them on the internet uh, about about pricing and they didn't even use him um, and I'm not sure I think both sides were losers in the end um, there's no there's no winner in an argument with a, with a customer or a potential customer so so good advice I, I'm just um, conscious um, that you've got a, a big business to run and I, I've only got you for another couple of minutes so just I know that a lot of the audience um, I mentioned that you were coming on sent me in questions about how have you managed to write five books, uh, best-selling books, and how and how how do you go about you know doing so many things? You know you've got so many you've got so many parts of your organisation in multiple parts of the world. You know how how are you achieving so much with so little time that we all feel we have? Um, well, the thing with the books is that um, I used to catch a lot of planes and I would uh, I got in the habit of writing on flights and rather than watching the movies, I was just writing books. Um, so um, most of my books were written during a time in my life when um, when I would uh, catch a lot of flights and I it was just a good habit. You know, it was one of those good daily habits. I would say that today... Uh, I would have to carve out a different time. Maybe I'd have to get up early and, and write them before work or something like that. But um, for me personally, I just got in a very good habit that on a plane, I, my job was to do at least three or four hours of writing um, before I watched any movies. And, and that was a great habit. And I was doing a lot of travel at the time. So <laughs> you can tell because I wrote four books on planes. Um, and um uh, and then that built my confidence to be able to write in, in other formats and in other ways. But that was, I guess, the, the lesson there is just good habits. Um, the How do we run the business today? Uh, very much with dashboards where everyone can see um, the dashboards. We have a great system where we, we make sure that every 90 days we set, we do a reset of our business. And um, it's it's actually, we've got one coming up. We reset the three-year um, goals and the 12-month goals and the 90-day goals. Um, every single person walks away with that um, that from that meeting with a very clear dashboard that aligns their own personal activities to the activities of the company and what we're trying to achieve um, as a as a company. 
Um, we trust our people. You know, one of the ways that I get a lot done is I, I have amazing, talented people on the team and I just trust them. So top to bottom, the entire company, every single person in the company, um, including new people who are brand new to the company, are empowered to spend up to 500 pounds to quickly fix any problem that can be fixed quickly and for less than 500 pounds um, without any approval or permission. So um, it's just a company-wide policy, top to bottom, if there's something that can be improved or fixed for 500 quid or less, just go do it, don't ask, just do it. Um, now, things like that, and that's not like a key to success, but it's a symptom of having a great team that when you see, you know, when you see that, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because it means that we won't hire anyone in the company that we wouldn't charge, uh, that we wouldn't accept that rule with because you could do it every day if you wanted to. You could spend $500 a day uh, fixing problems. <laughs> There's really no limit to it. Um, you know, so bringing people into the company uh, with policies in place like that means that you only bring really great people into the company in the first place. Um, so there's things like having great dashboards, having great alignment, and then letting people get on with achieving success. One of the things that we do is we're really clear on outcomes, but we're really flexible on how those outcomes get achieved. Um, so we share best practices. We share this is how the outcome was previously achieved. Um, this is you know, if, if uh, one of the team comes to me and says, how would you achieve the outcome? I'll give them my opinion, but that doesn't mean anything. They can go and do it their own way if they want to do it their own way, um, provided they achieve uh, the outcome. Uh, as an entrepreneur, I see myself as a resource to the company, um, not uh, as a boss uh, of the business. So, you know, to I, I'm one of the resources in the business. Uh, if someone wants to come to me and says, can you speak at this event? Sure, right? I'm, I'm happy to, if it's a good use of the resource, why not? If someone says to me, can I ask your opinion on how I can get this done? I've, I've tried this three different ways and I haven't really been able to figure it out. It's like, great, I'll be a coach or a resource uh, in that situation. But also, if no one's asking me anything and it's totally quiet, I'm not going to badger people or micromanage people if they're getting on with uh, achieving things. I'll check their dashboard to see that they're hitting their goals. But other than that, um, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's let, let people get on with it. I, 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 there's just so much learning in that, uh, that, that, that explanation of how you, how you're, how you're scaling, how you're managing the trust piece is so overlooked. I think that I, I'm going to write on my wall for my new podcast studio. I'm a resource, not the boss. I think that is so valuable. Let's get T-shirts done up about that for every boss there is out there to learn that. It's so, so, so powerful, that point. And um, look, Daniel, I, I want to have you back. We have a This Is Your Life podcast called The Purposeful Project where we get into all the details of, of uh, you know, your early years and, 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 and your, your growth in business. So we have you for an hour for that podcast. Let's have you back on, on for that. There's so much knowledge I know. For anybody listening, um, you should definitely click the links below and, and, and buy Daniel's books. I I cannot recommend them enough and you can join up to his main list and his organizations events and so on via the links below please do that you will learn so much I know all of you out there have so many questions about entrepreneurship and to be honest you could just stop listening to this podcast go check in on Daniel's books and his insights and you won't need to listen to my voice anymore but Daniel thank you so much for joining us I appreciate your time I appreciate what you do I appreciate you how you give back in moments like this and uh, thank you so much for being a fantastic role model for entrepreneurs 
Thanks, Simon. I absolutely love uh, what you're doing with your time as well, and uh, and you know sharing your success and, and your networks. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Well, that's it, folks. Our mission is to help 10 million people start a business of their own and make sure no one feels alone doing it. So if you have any questions about business, you need one-on-one coaching for free, you need any help whatsoever, then reach out to us via thepurposefulproject.com. And if you're listening to this before the 18th of July, you can enter to win £25,000 from Tide, the bank. They'll give you cash for simply setting up an account with them. Go do that right now. In addition, we're working with TikTok. If you want marketing from TikTok, you want marketing from my organization, then go onto the hashtag, be your own boss and enter that competition. And if you're listening in August to this podcast, then as I said, just go buy Daniel's books. Thanks very much, everybody, for listening. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Pep Talk today, powered by The Purposeful Project. If you found it interesting, please give us a review and follow us. In addition, you can sign up to our website and get loads more free entrepreneur knowledge, as well as get access to Pep Talk and The Purposeful Project podcast direct in your inbox every week.